name is uh, Keenan Ince. With me, we have Alonso. And we're going to talk about the 1934 World Cup that happened in Italy. So here we go. Alonso, will you start us off with why was it in Italy? Okay, so the 1934 World Cup, as Keenan said, it was hosted in Italy. Some history behind this World Cup that I found interesting. The Italians almost lost the bid. The World Cup was actually set to take part in Sweden. However, Mussolini, so for those of you that are not familiar with this person, he was a dictator during this World Cup that was leading Italy in a fascist way. So, so some of Mussolini's friends, as well as the Italian Football Association, bribed and intimidated some of the members of the voting committee in FIFA. After they thought that Sweden was going to take the bid for the World Cup, FIFA went out to said that actually, no, Italy will be a great place to have the second World Cup. Mussolini actually took this opportunity to showcase how organized and well-behaved his fascist country was. I found some things online, like how the propaganda was, was used. He had a poster that depicted Hercules poised over a football with an arm outstretched in a fascist salute. So even though some stadiums were not filled, Mussolini instructed the radio broadcasters to say that, to lie basically, to say that every single stadium was full. The reason why they weren't full was because they were so far apart that people did not have the chance to go from one stadium to another. That was basically all I found. It was pretty, it's pretty interesting on how he bribed the FIFA, the voting committee to, to have the World Cup in, in his country. Yeah, for sure. And it's and it seems to me that well, as as you recall, the nineteen thirty World Cup was kind of assigned to Uruguay. And I I feel like over the next couple of years FIFA decided it was time to put their heads together, time to make this tournament something even bigger and better than it was before. And it seemed that Mussolini had really had the well, had the had the funds basically, right? So he had he had the money to run this tournament, and that, I I'm speculating here. I'm not 100 percent sure, but that's probably why uh, Italy was chosen in preference to the one in Sweden. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, other than being bribed and being intimidated, <laughs> I mean, we don't know what kind of intimidations they they did. Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> I I think this is kind of a time where European countries were in a sense, trying to outdo each other, oh, yeah. trying to build their own governments, they're trying to be the best country, the most prosperous country that they can be, and what better way to showcase how superior their country is yeah, no, by sure. putting in a team in the World Cup. So with that being said, Alonso, and this uh, FIFA World Cup being a part of, well, it's it took place in Europe, so what did, what did that mean to the teams who entered into this tournament? This one was actually a little different than the World Cups that we have come to know nowadays. The host country and the champion, obviously, they automatically are placed in the World Cup. They have right. a they have a place automatic to the to the World Cup without the need to qualify. However, this one had like it was different, so Italy had to qualify anyways. So they had a chance, like there was an opportunity for them not to even be part of this World Cup. So this was the first and the only time where the host nation had to qualify. There were some uh, countries that did not want to go, uh, mainly because of the travel, like we spoke about on our first podcast. 
Some withdrawals from South Americans were Chile and Peru. So that meant that Brazil and Argentina played, uh, they qualified without even playing a single match to qualify to the World Cup because those four were the only ones that were invited to start qualifying. So there were only two spots from South America, which Brazil and Argentina took. Uruguay refused to participate because of the previous World Cup because only four European countries went to Uruguay. So they took it to heart and they said no. So, which meant Brazil and Argentina were the only South American team, uh, countries that went to this World Cup. Well, the games that were played, they were played in eight different cities throughout Italy, which is a huge difference from the first one, which was only played in two different cities. So all eight first round matches were played at the same time. So that's another reason why I think people had a hard time trying to go between game and game, and Mussolini just, you know, took an executive decision saying lie to everyone and say that all the stadiums are filled. So the the first match was between Italy and USA, and Italy beat USA 7-1. I found a quote from the New York Times where they wrote that only the fine goaltending of, of Julius Julian of Chicago, which is a U.S. goalkeeper, kept the score as low as it was. <laughs> Which means that, I guess, either Italy played a really well match, or USA was just really, really, really bad. Sorry, do you have any comments on that? Italy was, is, well, European countries have always been known for fielding some pretty good teams yeah. um, in the last couple World Cups. But I just, I just find it a little, a little surprising that they, that they were so dominant in that match. And I have to say... I, ha- I want to say it was, it was due to the home advantage that Italy had as hosts. And I think that's kind of why there is such high expectations for the host country to do well in the World Cup. Right. It's because, well, Uruguay, as you know, they hosted it and they won it. So Italy, playing well, playing in Italy, <laughs> the Italian team must have had an advantage. And I don't know, well, we'll talk about more about the, the result of the other matches, yeah. but yeah, I just wanted to I just wanted to point out that it seemed that home advantage playing in your own country and having that so-called pressure or that expectation to perform really gives some of these national teams an extra boost. Well, it's a huge thing, and if you guys had a chance to listen to the first podcast, I think that's one of the reasons too why Uruguay had a were successful in their very first World Cup because it was in Uruguay, and. Yeah. You know, like Keenan said, there was a lot of there are a lot of advantages to that. So in the nineteen thirty four World Cup, if you guys recall from the nineteen thirty from our first podcast, Argentina were the runner ups from, from that World Cup, which means they had a great team. However, no one from that team from the nineteen thirty came to the nineteen thirty four World Cup for Argentina. So they had a completely new team. Uh, the reason why it was because they had some internal dispute between the players and the coaches and the Argentina Club Football Association. In the round of 16, Argentina lost to Sweden 3-2 and Brazil lost against Spain 3-1. So these were, that was an early exit for both South American teams. And that's a thing that Keenan was saying that back in, back in, the, in that time and still is, Europe is a big powerhouse when it comes to soccer. And Spain and Sweden are both great teams, and they were back then as well. So, for the only time in World Cup history, the final eight were composed of only European countries, which was Austria, 
Czechoslovakia, Germany, Hungary, Italy, Spain, Sweden, and Switzerland. Even if you see any European countries in, in the final eight of any World Cup, it, it's, it's really no surprise. Okay, so before we, we move on to uh, just talking about this World Cup, I just want to talk about some things that I found that Mussolini kind of... Uh, and I still think that there are some controversy calls in soccer right now, even with VAR in the picture. And no matter how many referees are on the field, there's still going to be some controversy calls. So there are two controversies that caught my eye while I was reading about this World Cup. In the quarterfinal between Italy and Spain, it was a rough match. It's it's known to this day as a, like the roughest match ever because of how undisciplined it was and how much violence there was. Like we said on the first podcast, there was no subs allowed in this like during the matches, so the players had to play the full ninety minutes even if they were injured. So, for example, Mario Pizzioli who's a, an Italian player, he, so, he suffered a broken leg and he had to play with a broken leg. Can you imagine playing with a broken leg, Keenan? I do not know how that is possible. <laughs> I have, they must have, I don't know what, I don't know what kind of medical team they had back then, but wow, like that is, that, I, yeah, I just, well, I if don't, it, if I don't it, see that happening. If it was anything like that American medic that fell while going to the field, <laughs> The very first World Cup. That guy, oh, he must have been in so much pain. So, still talking about this game between Italy and Spain. So, the game ended 1-1, which meant that there will be a replay the next day. Because back then, there, there was extra time, but there wasn't penalty shootouts. So, the game ended 1-1, so they played the following day. So, Spain was forced to make seven changes because of how rough that game was. Now, Italy beat Spain 1-0 the next day, so which meant Italy um, went through to the semifinals. Now, the controversy against the ref. Uh, Spain actually scored two goals that were actually called off. So one was for offside, and the other one was... This one I get a kick out of it because I get mad when, I, you know, when I'm watching soccer live as well, or even when I'm, like <laughs> when I'm playing FIFA. Um, so the ref called the play back because there was a foul against the Italians. So, you know, so for those of you guys that are not uh, familiar with uh, with soccer fouls and soccer calls, if, for example, if Keenan and I are in opposing teams, Keenan fouls me, but I still have the ball. I have what it's called advantage, which means if Keenan touches the ball, the play gets to be called back, which means it's my ball still. It's only like, what, like a 10 second advantage, maybe 15 seconds advantage. Um, but this time, the ref calls the the foul. The Spaniards have an advantage, but the ref still calls the play back. So the, so the Spaniards scored, but then the ref said, nope, there was a foul back then. You guys need to take the free kick. So what do you think of that, Keenan? It's, again, it, it really comes to... <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but it really feels like, like because this happens in, in Italy, in a game where Italy is playing against Spain, who is basically a neighboring country, and so they're rivals. They're rivals. Like it's there's <laughs> like I know you love the controversy, and there's obviously going to be a lot of controversy. But at the end, it, it's it seemed like as long well as long as nothing bad came out of it, I'm sure there'll always be. I don't want to say hate 
because I don't like the word hate, but there's but there's always going to be resentment. There's always going to be some sort of uh, we'll get them next time. Or so yeah. So when S- Spain plays Italy, I know for sure. I I don't know how often they've met in the World Cup in the past I don't know decade or so, but yeah, anytime a Spain a Spanish team would play an Italian team, I'm sure they'd really go at it. Oh, yeah. That just it all begins somewhere. So that match was the first time in history ever they've played against each other in the World Cup. So I can only imagine that it just it was a defining moment for those two countries. Oh yeah, no, for sure. But I mean, whether or not it was because you know a controversy or just the ref did not, whatever. Um, this match, this very first match between Italy and Spain, I think it. You know, the, the best thing that came out of it is, like Keenan said, the matches that we have, we've had in the past between Spain and Italy in the past decade. Even if it's not a World Cup, like even if it's a friendly or a European championship match, yeah, the, both of those countries go at it 110%. So the second thing that I found, like controversy again, <laughs> um, was during the semifinals. So this is the semifinal stage. So the match between Italy and Austria, which was the first semifinals, Everything was okay. Italy beat Austria 1-0. However, the other semifinals between Germany and Czechoslovakia, the referee for that match was Italian. It was set to have favored the Czechs because he knew that they would make an easier opponent for Italy in the finals. (laughs) So the Czechs won 3-1, which meant Italy will go against Czechoslovakia. And obviously, Italy beat... Czechoslovakia 2-1 to become the second World Cup champions. I I don't have much information on that match between Germany and Czechoslovakia as to how the referee favored the Czechs more than they did the, the Germans, But and I wish I knew what kind of German team they had back then, but, uh, I mean, that final would be great to see now, Italy between Germany, with the teams that we, we know, like the players that we know. What do you think, Ian? It's really interesting because, yeah, you you think you think every team. Well, nowadays every team is as competitive as they can be against each other, especially from the same continent. Yeah, so and especially in the world. Europe, yeah. So when when you when you see a when you see a World Cup matchup between two European countries or two South American countries or two African countries or Asian countries, it's it's going to be a good match. It's yeah. it's just. You're representing a part of the world. You're representing your continent, and yeah, it's as I, as I was saying earlier in the podcast is all these teams are obviously they're passionate. They want to and they represent their country. Like this is this was the kind of the whole point of World Cup. I know it's about the sport, but in these times, in these historical times, it's it was more it was more than just the sport. It was it was about the country more so than the actual. Uh, soccer game or soccer sport, right. you want to call that. Uh, so, so yeah, like it's I don't know, I don't I don't know how to describe it. It's just it's it's what it's what it's become, and it definitely shaped what the World Cup is today. So, so I know we've we've kind of touched on some matches, but I'm going to rewind here a little bit, Alonzo, and yep. just I just wanted to know what kind of teams made their debut in this World Cup. Like, who are the participants in this World Cup? 
the one that surprised me was, I, I mean, I wouldn't say surprised me because I'm not sure how good they were back then, but Egypt, it was their first World Cup. Another one was, again, Austria. So we, we did talk about them for a little bit. So yeah, so, so all the teams that were, all the 16 teams that were there, so it was Italy, USA, Spain, Brazil, Austria, France, Hungary, Egypt, Czechoslovakia, Romania, another one that kind of surprised me, Switzerland, Netherlands, Germany, Belgium, Sweden, and Argentina. So those were the teams that were in this, uh, in this World Cup. So for the most part, it, it was it was yeah. similar to the first one, except for a couple of couple of uh, surprises, I guess, if you want to call it that. Again, this is only the second World Cup. Were Were there any teams from Africa in the nineteen thirty World Cup? No, 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 no. It was yeah. Like... So, so I yeah I I was just I was just wondering if if we yeah no there was well if if the amount of teams increased or. Well, let's see. In 1930, there was four European countries. Okay. In comparison to 12 from the 1934. So there, so there were 12 European countries in the it, 1934 one. Yeah. So the okay. which which is another reason why I think the number of European teams that they had in the 1934, I think that also gave them give the Europeans a bigger advantage of having eight countries in the last eight of the tournament. Yeah, and it's and it and it just it just tells you how, how difficult travel was back then as yeah. well because I've also noticed the the one in Uruguay, you had Bolivia, you had Peru, you had so many more teams from South America in that one. Yeah. Now that the tournament had was was moved, was has shifted to a European country, and all of a sudden, the makeup of the World Cup is majority. Well, majority twelve out of the sixteen teams are from Europe. Yeah, exactly. So the chances of them of winning this World Cup greatly increased. Yeah. The only yeah, the only teams that weren't from Europe are Argentina, Brazil, Egypt, and the United States. Yeah, because not even Mexico went in the nineteen thirty-four. Yeah, so it's so I, I, I again like it's. It's travel. It's the what countries can afford, whether they can send a team to. Yeah, it must have been a challenge in the in the previous World Cups. Now it seems that the World Cup can be hosted almost on, on every continent, and the whole world can still be there. Yeah, for but sure. The back, the back then, it's uh, it's whichever nation hosted the World Cup. It seemed to be that the teams nearby them were the ones that were able to attend or qualify. I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, so with the teams that were there, so the top scorer of this World Cup was actually the Czechoslovakia player. Now, let's see if I can pronounce this right. Oldrich Nejidli. He scored five goals during the tournament. And he played for Sparta Prague and SK Rakovnik. He had 225 appearances for this for these two clubs and scored 180 goals. Uh, for Czechoslovakia, he appeared 44 times, score, scoring 29 goals. Um, th- those are pretty s- sweet numbers. But yeah, so it's yeah, so this guy, this Oldrich Nejedly. So again, I'm I'm trying to compare the two. So 1930 World Cup, they have Yugoslavia, and clearly they have that nation has kind of broken apart, mm-hmm. or they have changed their name to Czechoslovakia, and 
again, so I, I'm, I'm not really surprised. I have to say I'm, I expected Czechoslovakia to be good in this tournament because, again, they, they used to be a very huge nation. And, and, yeah, they really represented the majority, I would say, of Eastern Europe. So, yeah, it's, 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 no, it's no surprise to me. Obviously, you would, you would think that the top score would be from the host nation or the winner of the World Cup, but Czechoslovakia did not win this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, who, who ended up winning it? And what's, what are your thoughts on the winner? The winners of this World Cup was Italy. Uh, so the final showdown was between Italy and Czechoslovakia. Um, and Italy beat Czechoslovakia 2-1. Now, the goal scorers for that match for Italy was Orsi in the 81st minute and Xavio on the 95th minute. Czechoslovakia was actually leading this match 1-0 with a goal from uh, Puch at the 71st minute. I don't know if I pronounced that right. <laughs> no, I think you did. The, the, the C's are you Puch. I'm guessing that's, yeah. But, but yeah, so... And and this final showdown was actually, was held in the Stadio Nacional, which is where Roma plays now. Um, so so yeah, and I'm gonna say this because uh, um, I'm I'm from South America. So because of South because of the only two South American countries that were in this World Cup was Brazil and Argentina. They only got through. Well, they didn't even get through the round of sixteen, so they were knocked out early. So, sadly, the two Argentinians and the one Brazilian that scored a goal was Ernesto Bailey's Alberto Galetao, who are from Argentina, and Leonidas, who's from Brazil. So they each scored one goal apiece, and that was it for the South Americans in this World Cup. Talking about the FIFA retrospective ranking now, so obviously the, the top four, with Italy being the first, so it goes down from Italy, then it goes to Czechoslovakia, Germany, and Austria. So those were the two, the top four. The next four that were eliminated in the quarterfinals, Spain, Hungary, Switzerland, and Sweden. Now the other ones that were eliminated in the round of 16, tied for ninth is Argentina, France, and Netherlands. So each one, actually, they lost one match. The goals in favor were the same in two. And the goals against were the same at three, so their goal difference was the same, and their points were the same. So they were all tied up for ninth. On 12th place was Romania, then Egypt, Brazil, Belgium, and the United States. I wonder how long it took the United States to actually be a powerhouse. They were actually a pretty good team later on. Yeah, they've they've had their moments. Again, it kind of of goes to, I, I think it's... Well, it's it's a historical thing too. Like the uh, United States are known for their sports, so not, so I don't I don't want to say that they really emphasize on their teams in soccer or in football for that matter <laughs> back then. But nowadays they they are more well known for their for their uh, well the athletes they have in different sports such as basketball and football, and football American football and hockey even so. Right. Maybe it just it just took a turn, and uh, kids and adults just grew up playing different sports, and not so much. I guess the focus kind of shifted from a from a different sport, and that's just my opinion. I don't know if that's what happened, but I honestly think that they they've turned their heads, they turned their attention to more some of the more popular sports that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. 
So anyways, this, this World Cup seemed, seemed to be a, a, a great one, and that was Italy's first World Cup, which they won. Yeah, so there wasn't much history behind it as there was in, in Uruguay, and that's because, again, you know, this being the second one, we know, we, we know how the tournament is set up. It's the same setup for now. The only thing that, we, that I found, I guess, interesting was just the history behind it on how the Italians actually got the bid for this World Cup. Hopefully the 1938 World Cup um, gives us more to talk about and make sure you stay tuned. Now before we go, Keenan, we have someone message me in our Instagram account. They listened to our Barcelona Liverpool podcast and they had a question about who would you put in your English Premier All-Star team against the La Liga All-Star team? Who, who would I put from like the English? No, from anyone in the EPL. The English Premier All-Star team for Keenan. Well, I would choose either Matt Ryan or Nick Pope, who I believe... So Matt Ryan plays for Brighton, and Nick Pope plays for Burnley. And they are both young goalkeepers, and they are both... Sorry, they're not both English. Nick Pope is English, but Matt Ryan is Australian, and I... They've had some very superb seasons, despite mm-hmm. their teams not being in the top of the table. Yeah. Um, so I, I really, I really believe that they deserve some credit. And then for the back four on right back, of course, the man himself, Trent Alexander Arnold. He's had so many assists, and that that is why he is he deserves a spot um, on the right back. He has been pretty solid defensively as well. In the middle, we have Virgil van Dijk, of course, top defender in the Premier League. I swear I'm not biased, but he's, he's been really solid as well. To partner him, now this this is kind of a tough choice, but I, I have to give it to uh, Leicester City's uh, center back. I can't, I don't know his first name. I think it's Kegla Soyuncu. So it's C A G L A R Soyuncu, Turkish center back for Leicester City. And he has been incredible. I even remember he played against Liverpool and basically, well, tried his best to contain Mohamed Salah. So I was really impressed with his defending and his skill. Mm-hmm. And then on the left back, I have to give it to Andy Robertson because I cannot think of a left back that played as well as he did or that was able to. Again, it's, it's a cross. It's the overall, his overall contribution to the game is always appreciated and he's always plays hard and works so hard on the pitch. Right. Um, so that's that's my back four. So in the middle, this is very tough, but of course a standout, and he's been phenomenal despite Manchester City's not-so-good year, mm-hmm. Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. Deserves a spot in that team. And I'm going to go with a 4-3-3. So I have De Bruyne there in the middle. I have to say Henderson... I have to put I have to put that man like he's his leadership skills his his work rate is just unbelievable so mm-hmm. I put Henderson De Bruyne and for the third spot this guy is kind of he's always been a favorite of mine and I feel like he does his job very well and again like to be in to be in the midfield you have to be energy like you have to be good in the tackle and then you can also be great as well if you can open occasionally score the goal. So I'm going to put N'Golo Kante as the third guy in my midfield. 
And then finally, up top, I have Sadio Mane, who has been unbelievable this year. Mane on the left, and then down the middle, I have to give it to Aguero. Aguero has been really good. Um, I'm, I'm really shocked that Guardiola doesn't start him all the time. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't been as prolific as he had in the last couple of years. But mm-hmm. he's such a big goal scoring threat, and he's always there. Mm-hmm. He scores some big goals still, so... And he definitely did that a couple times this season, despite, again, Manchester City not yeah. doing so well. And then, finally, on the right, I have to go with Mohamed Salah. Really? Yeah, because I, I love Liverpool. I really love that team. And despite, I always expect more from Salah, but he, still, his contributions, um, some of the goals he scores, like he did have a couple of difficulties scoring goals, or he had some goal-scoring goal droughts this season, but... But what he does for a team and his speed and his his left foot and his composure when he has to take penalties have been have been very superb. So that's why he, he gets a spot on that team. And that's my I would say that's my all time All Star not, not I thought my all star team for this season. Okay. Um so you got six Liverpool players. What there's nothing wrong with that. You love your team. That's great. So mine all star eleven La Liga players. I don't have a lot of Barca players at um, <laughs> so goalkeeper for me obviously Oblak who plays in uh, Atletico Madrid great goalkeeper and Ter Stegen I have a 3-4-3 formation so just three in the back so my first one would be Lengley and then on the other one would be Inigo Martinez who is actually an athletic Bilbao player and then Varane who's a Real Madrid he, he's a good defender I like him for my four on the mid, I would choose Johnny uh, in my left mid. He plays for Deportivo Alaves. He's a Spaniard. In the middle, I would choose Pablo Sarabia, another Spaniard who plays for Sevilla. I would choose Dani Parejo, who is from Valencia. And then in my right mid, I will choose Oyar Sabal. He's a Sociedad player, Real Sociedad. And then in my top three, Obviously, I'd have to choose Messi. One of my forwards alongside in the middle with Juarez. And then on the right, I would have to choose Ben Yedder. Uh, he's from Sevilla. That's my all-star 11 team for La Liga. And as you heard, Keenan's all-star team for English Premier League. So let us know what you think of that. Um, if there's anything, if there's anyone that you would, that you would change, that you would exchange for one of your favorite players. Let me know, and if you do, if you do get a chance to listen to this second World Cup podcast that we recorded, let me know who your All Star Eleven team is from. Uh, why don't we say all over the world? Uh, just give me, give us your best eleven. I will be able to well, to post it in my Instagram account and tag you in it. Um, I would really love to to see who you think are the best players in the world. If you have any questions at all or anything that you would like to talk about or that you would like us to talk about in our podcast, send me a message on Instagram. It's the best way to reach us. Um, our Instagram account is Soccer Passion 1.0. We love to meet people that are in love with the sport as much as we are. Once again, this was the 1934 World Cup. Second one in history. 
and we gave you a little bit of extra on our top 11 players that we think are the best players in English Premier League from Keenan's side and La Liga from my side. Thank you for listening. Hope to catch you guys next time on our third podcast, the 1938 World Cup. Thank you for listening. Have a good night.